the world puts on its jewels for Christmas and decks itself in emerald and ruby lights, gold and silver foil, all the glitter for the holidays. But it may surprise you to know that Christmas itself has a jewel that's peculiarly its own. A jewel red as holly berries or green as holly leaves, all depending on how you look at it. We'll look at it in just a moment after this word from a friend of ours. Christmas jewel is called the Alexandrite, named in honor of Alexander, once Tsar of the Russias. Alexander got his name tagged onto the gem for two reasons. First, because the earliest Alexandrites were discovered in or near Russia. And second, because red and green were the national colors of Tsarist Russia. But when a jewel combines the colors of red and green, it seems that Christmas would have a right to claim it too. can one jewel be two colors? How can it glimmer with a clear green that mimics the emerald at one time and turn red as the ruby at another? Well, I'll leave the explanation up to the scientists. Maybe they can explain such things as refraction of light and the different reflections of sunlight and artificial light when filtered through the alexandrite. But I'll keep it simple. The alexandrite locks cool green by daylight blood red in artificial light. There's a little tale about the Alexandrite as major clue in a mystery story. More fancy than fact, I am sure, I would guess. But anyway, a good story is a good story, true or not. And this one tells of a young man, we'll call him Richard, who was dispossessed of his birthright. A century or more ago, Richard was adventuring about the world. His father died quite suddenly. A severe shock to the absent son, for his father had been in robust health and good spirits a few months before. This shock was followed by another. Though Richard's father had talked often of the time when Richard would take over the family estate and business, his will left all he owned to his Richard's uncle. Richard, far away in Tsarist Russia, was convinced that something was wrong. He gave a lot of thought 
to his Uncle Earl, a man who was a strange mixture of unscrupulous instincts and odd superstitions. He was convinced, knowing his uncle well, that his uncle had murdered his father. But how to prove it? Months had passed since his father's death. Any possible clue was long gone, except, Richard told himself slowly, the evil knowledge in his uncle's brain. But how could he pry that knowledge loose? Richard thought he had a way, and so he went home for Christmas. Richard felt some constraint behind the joyous welcome his uncle gave him, but there was no questioning his uncle's joy when on Christmas Day, Richard presented the ring with a brilliant and massive green jewel on it. Richard smiled at his Uncle Earl's effusive thanks and bided his time. And it wasn't until Christmas feast that evening was well underway that Richard sprang from his chair in apparent shocked surprise. His chair racketed to the floor, and he fixed his eyes on Earl's left hand until he was sure that the eyes of every guest followed his glance. And in the silence he whispered, Blood. That jewel is stained with blood, Uncle. Blood from your hands. Perhaps I forgot to tell you, that jewel is a most unusual stone with the power of changing its color. He paused and added with almost sinister slowness, Under the right conditions. Earl cowered back into his chair. His gaze transfixed the stone as though he was powerless to move. Mercilessly, Richard repeated, There's blood on your hands, Uncle. Whose blood? Whose? Hysterically, Earl tried to tear the ring from his finger, but the tremors of his own emotion shook him so that he could not. Perhaps he thought it was welded to his hand with a bond of guilt that could not be broken by human powers. Defeated, he crumpled into his chair and confessed, Your father's blood, Richard. So much for a Christmas mystery story about the Christmas jewel, the sometimes green, the sometimes red, Alexandrite. Angels, we have
That's the way the story of the Alexandrite goes. If you want to focus on the cheerful things of the season, just look in any time on this friend of ours. anything more enchanting than a blanket of white snow lighted by a moonlit Christmas Eve. How strange this old familiar landscape seems. Like somewhere seen in half forgotten dreams, the light upon it, from the rising moons enchanted, see the sculptured snowdrifts now, are changing into Arabia's golden dunes, there's muted music on the far-off wind, thrilling although the words are undefined, secret, and thin, and the star is burning in the eastern sky, be still. And wait in silence, we may see the wise men going by. Just about now, all of us are frantically addressing those last greeting card envelopes and licking the stamps to put on them. Yes, stamps, plural. One to carry the mail, and another to carry a wish for good health. That is a very real expression of the Yuletide's goodwill to men. I get a real lift out of the outside covering of every greeting card that gets dropped into our mailbox. On almost every corner, there's one of those gay little TB stamps. It seems to me that the custom seems to band together all of us in a united fight against the tragedy of disease. It bands us together in a united wish of goodwill to all TB victims, to present, 
and future. This year, as the cards began coming in, I got a little curious about how this very touching and very practical Christmas custom began. Perhaps you'd like to know, too. Well, it began in Denmark. Surprised, I was. Way back in 1904, the first TB fighting Christmas seals were designed by Einar Helbel of Denmark. The idea, as good ideas do, stuck a spark of inspiration from many minds. It spread from country to country, including ours, until now over 40 countries around the world boast the disease-battling Christmas seal on their Christmas cards. And in some countries, the seals are even accepted as part of the postage, no less. So, salute to the Danes for valor in a great fight when the Christmas cards start flooding in. Just think of it. Every seal is another blow struck against disease, and the seals are used by literally millions of people around the world. In this cause, at least, united of behalf of goodwill to men. Well, here is a busy climax to our Christmas fantasy for today. It's a word from a friend of ours. can never forget the disillusioning time, the time when you're eight or nine and some wise guy says mockingly, ah, there ain't no Santa Claus. Once there was a little boy who believed that lie. It was a poor little boy named Jimmy. And it's true, Santa Claus hadn't always brought him everything he asked for. In fact, some Christmases, Santa didn't bring him much at all. But his mother explained that to him. Jimmy, she said, it isn't good for people to get everything they want just for the asking. And Santa wants to be good to you. So he leaves you some of the things you dream about and some things to earn for yourself. Well, that sounded logical enough until Gil... A big 12-year-old gave Jimmy his version. Gil was rough and tough. Gosh, everybody did what Gil said and believed what he said, too. 
So when Gil said there was no Santa Claus, Jimmy took it in wide-eyed silence. And Gil, of whom he stared, laughed cruelly and swaggered off down the street. Jimmy turned and looked blindly into a shop window. He wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't. But he did. Inside the window, through the blur of tears, he could see his dream. Remembering what his mother had said, he had settled on just a small dream. Not that microscope, not the bicycle, just a small dream. That wood-burning set with a real, genuine electric burning tool and six plaques. The price, just two dollars. But if it was true what Gil said, that there was no Santa Claus, well, Jimmy knew how hard it was for his mother to find two dollars. It wasn't then when he was giving the wood-burning set a look of lingering, regretful farewell that he noticed the reflection in the window. It was a shadowy, distorted image of a man who seemed to be staring in at the toys, too. Gee, that was funny. A grown man looking in a toy window. Jimmy turned around. The man was a bum with a coat frayed at the collar and cuffs, pulled on over a dingy sweater, so ancient that the years had erased its color to a nondescript gray. The man smiled tentatively, ready to be friendly or ready to move on, depending. Hi, kid, he offered. Making, making up your mind what you're going to ask Santa for? There ain't no Santa, Jim said tremulously. Feeling his ache show through the words, he repeated them defiantly. There ain't no Santa Claus. Well, now, said the man, you don't want to be too hasty about that. You know, some people can't see Santa because they don't recognize him when he comes along. You know, Santa's like everybody else. He don't wear that red Sunday suit all the time. Why, for all you know, he might look just like me. Santa's where you find him, Sonny. Jim was a bit puzzled. But the man's coaxing voice went on. And the first thing Jimmy knew, he was confiding all of his longing for that wood-burning set. The man watched the glow in the boy's eyes. He saw the two-dollar price tag, and the hands he had jammed in his pockets fumbled over two carefully folded bills and one quarter. Two bucks. That was a good meal and a clean bed. The quarter car fare to that job he had promised tomorrow morning. Slowly, he took out the bills. Look, kid, Santa has quite a long Christmas list these days. Seems like every year there's more kids and more kids. Now, if you'd do me a favor, you could save him a little trouble. You go in and get that wood-burning set right now. Then I can check you off the list until next Christmas. Jimmy held the two bills and started to stare down the street after the retreating, shabby back of the vagrant. Santa is where you find him. There was. There is a Santa Claus. Santa Claus was telling himself he was a fool. Now there'd be no meal, no rest, before the job to start in the morning. Santa is where you find him. <laughs> he mocked himself. Then more gently he added, but you gotta believe in something. A boy or a man has to believe in something. Like that job tomorrow. Maybe it's the way back. The first rung and the ladder for me. I'm going to believe it is. I'm believing in Santa Claus. There is a Santa Claus. Santa Claus is where you find him. I
Santa Claus, and you'll find Santa's gifts to this friend of ours. wonderful day of all the year, the day of gladness and good cheer. Heap high the logs on the Christmas fires, hang the holly and the mistletoe bough, light the Christmas candles now. 
in their gentle glow again we know the joy of life at its highest living the joy of loving and giving and the world forgets its sorrow and pain and remembers a child and a wondrous star and wise men who traveled far to find what their wisdom had ever taught the one long sonnet the joy newborn lift a carol and breathe a prayer that he come once more with peace and joy and goodwill to men it's christmas again And incidentally, if you have any trouble convincing yourself that there is a Santa Claus, like Jimmy in our Christmas story today, then I hope you get one of those magical packages of greeting cards postmarked plain as day, Santa Claus. You may, for every year, literally thousands of people mail their greeting cards to Santa Claus, Indiana, to have them postmarked Santa Claus. And you can bet the post office in Santa Claus, Indiana, hums with activity. It's busy as Santa's workshop this time of the year, sending happiness and greetings around the world.